Parsha Themes is for inspired people like you who are looking for engaging and relevant Parsha and Moedim thoughts. Our weekly discussions focus on uplifting thoughts and actionable ideas that will upgrade your Avodah Hashem and enhance your Shabbos and Yantav table. I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Tropper, and it's an honor to have you with me here today. Welcome to the Vilna Gon on Parsha's Bo. And as I always say this time of year, in these Parshios, there's beautiful Divrei Torah that inspire our Amunah Bitachon, but also they are inspiring ideas for Pesach because these ideas are all about Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim and the themes of Egypt and uh, beautiful lessons that could be said over at the Shabbos table for Parsha's bow. Or the truth is, many of them apply for many of the weeks of Shemos, and uh, the ones that inspire you can be saved for uh, Pesach as well. So we have Parak Yud Aleph, Pasuk Beis. Moshe is told by Hashem to command the nation that the, the Yashilu, each person should borrow from the Egyptians, and the women, Jewish women should borrow from the female Egyptians. And Rashi brings down the Gemara and Brochus, that this was very important to Hashem because it says, and the word na is a beseeching, it's a request, please. So Hashem said to Moshe, I beg of you, please tell the Jews that they need to ask for things so that Avraham, Yomer that Avraham shouldn't say, Oh, Hashem, look, you had the Jews in Egypt and you fulfilled the part of the Avdum Vinuosam, they'll be subjugated and pained, that you fulfilled. But you promised that my children, that you did not fulfill. So um, the Jews said back, Listen, Halvaya, we'll just go out. I don't even care about that, Bakasha. Let's just leave. Um, because a person that's trapped in a jail just wants to get out. It doesn't matter that he's going to get all this money. But Hashem said, please make it, it's an important thing to me. So the Vilna Gaon asks, and this is a part of a longer Dvar Torah if you want to look, some very interesting points, but I'm going to focus on one. The Vilna Gaon asks that, one second, if the whole idea here is that Avraham shouldn't complain to Hashem that, hey, look, you subjugated them, but you didn't give them lots of wealth, then if Hashem didn't keep his word, why do I need Avraham to come complain? It's a complaint against God. God has to keep his word. God is truth. So obviously, God did keep his word. So what, what does it mean that specifically I don't want Avraham to complain? So the Grot has a very, very beautiful shot here, which is just worth thinking about. And he says like this, that if you think about the entire Exodus, so there's a very sneaky thing going on. We find this idea throughout Chazal. There's a lot of sneaky things. And the question is going to be why. And what we find is that the Jews were commanded by Hashem to ask for a three-day break where they probably were just going to escape then. And in fact, even when, when Paro finally agreed to let them go, it was kind of implying that it was only for three days, and that's why he chased after them and met them at the seventh day at the Yom. Not only that, but they borrowed these clay kesem and clay zahav, but they had no intention of ever giving them back. So again, it's very sneaky. And not only that, but the grub brings down and share, that there's a medrash in Shirashirim which says that the Pusik tells us, kafu tomas yam, that Hashem dried out the um, the kafu means to, to freeze or to congeal. God congealed or uh, cleaned out the, the uh, bottom of the sea, meaning he made it walkable. Um, and then the words of the Pasuk say, What does that mean? The enemy said that we will pursue them. So the Medrash explains that when Paro was about to go into the sea, he saw that it was closing in on him. He saw that it was wet, and he realized that he was going to die. But Hashem specifically made a dry patch for him so that he would think, oh, look, it's going to split for me too. It's going to be dry for me too. And then he ran in, and everyone followed him, and, and that's when Egypt was destroyed. So again, Hashem is playing games. So the question we have to ask is why? So it says the Vilna Gaon, we think about the entire subjugation and the entire derech of the Yetzer. The whole thing was done through trickery. 
it was Asher Yodas Yosef. He forgot about Yosef conveniently, and he hired the Jews. Gemara and Sota says that it was Perach. It was a soft mouth that said, okay, just do a little bit of work and we'll pay you, and you got to be patriotic. So the Jews were fooled into doing this, this entire subjugation, which again represents the Sahara by Paro and his nation, who fooled them and said that we want you to just help out and be patriotic. Not only that, but but um, Paro tried to get the Yaldos to murder the Jewish babies and to pretend that the Jewish males were dying. Uh, he tried to train them, uh, like the Gemara says, to kill them on the birth stool and then to pretend like, oh, I'm sorry, your baby died. Of course, they didn't listen to him and they were blessed with sons that whose Torah lit up the world and, and descendants whose Torah lit up the world and daughter Miriam, who also, who her, her, she herself was a great uh, prophetess and, and great woman in the Jewish nation and uh, her descendants also were uh, Kohanim and Leviim, etc. Like Rashi brings down at the beginning of Shemos. But there was cunning going on there. And not only that, but there's another Medrash that the Grah brings down that says that Paro told the Egyptians, if you kill the Jewish boys, don't worry, I'll defend you. The Jewish people will bring you to court and I'll preside over the case and I'll say to them, bring bring witnesses. And of course, they'll never be able to do that because they were in a frenzy watching their child or Honolot's line get murdered and then you'll get away with it. So says the Grah, this is a Hashem specifically wanted to make it look like uh, that the punishment that came on the Egyptians should also be cunning in order to show them because of your cunning behaviors, that's why you're being punished this way. And part of the cunning was that the Jewish people would take out, would borrow, and it wouldn't look like they were getting anything from the Egyptians. It would look like they were going to have to return it later. Really, the the they're going to be punished and subjugated. That, of course, they were Mekayim in Mitzrayim. But the Acherachin Yatsubur Kushkadal referred to uh, when the Jewish people went out in at the Yamsuf and they got all the all the all the Egyptians' wealth that they brought, the Jew, the 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 Jewish people when they were saying to Hashem was, we don't have to carry all this stuff. We'll just get it later. We know what you have in store. We don't have to carry it. We'll just get it when they when they chase after us later. But says the Grah, then then it would have messed up the ruse. It would have messed up the 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 cunning because then the Egyptians would have realized, wait, they didn't take anything with them. Obviously, they're expecting to come back. Says the Grah, the Jewish people wanted to. Hashem wanted them to be part of this trick that it would look like uh, they were leaving and uh, perhaps coming, planning to come back. They were borrowing things. And that's why, the, says the Grah, it was only uh, Avraham didn't even want to see his descendants get hurt and, and be in any pain. The second they left, he wanted to see that they got rewarded because a father loves his child and he takes care of them. And really, the Rabbanu Shalom said, I love them more. Don't worry. I, I have so much more in store for them. But but it was only Avraham's taina that that could have pushed. Hashem said, "Avraham is is going to hold me to it, and I'm I'm ms. So therefore, I want to make sure that that the literal translations of the word that they will go out with wealth. The second they exit, they'll have wealth. Yeah, it's true that in the end, my word will be fully mekayim. And Chazal say that the bizas hayam, the booties that the booty that the Jewish people got at the at the Yamsuf was larger than anything they even carried out of Egypt. And of course, there was a rechush But nonetheless. Even for a moment, we didn't want Avraham to say to Hashem, hey, look, they're leaving Egypt and they don't have what they have. And again, we see the care and the uh, affection that a father has for his son. But ultimately, the Rebbe Shalom's care and affection for us is even greater because he also didn't want us to have to carry everything. And therefore, he had the Egyptians come and the Jewish people got the ultimate redemption where they got to see their oppressors dead and punished and knowing that they're fully safe from them and they can never come after them again. This is a fascinating look at that story and and how the Rebbe Shalom punishes Mida Kanegamida. 
one of the things that should be brought out is based on the Sephorno as well, which is that the entire Madrega of Pesach is um, that first we have to, and, and, and leading up to Shavuos as well, Kabbalah Sator, is this idea of Yish Alam, that first you should borrow, borrow the Madrega that you're not even at, but then you'll earn it during the uh, during the time period. So just like the Jews, it was Tchilaso, they borrowed it. If it started off that, that it was just something they borrowed from the Egyptians. When the Egyptians chased after them and lost the war, the Jewish people owned it, and it became theirs, legally, and they had no responsibility to return it. There's even a famous medrash that says that the Egyptians came back in the time of Alexander the Great and brought the Jews to court, which we've talked about in the past, and tried to get the money back. And, they, and the, uh, the uh, one Jewish layman got up and said, okay, no problem, we'll pay you back for all the things that we took as soon as you pay us back for the 210 years of servitude that you subjugated our entire nation to. And when they started calculating that, the Egyptians realized that it was better for the Jews just to keep what they had and just call it even because they were going to owe billions more. So... Again, this represents a t- the, the spiritual aspect, gift of a time, that a person could be tchaso she'ela. First, just borrow. You're not really at that level. But at the end, you could earn it, and it could become yours, and that's what we're trying to work on. In life, we always grab onto something. Kadesh, we grab onto holiness, and then urachatz, then we earn it, because we grab onto the something that will pull us forward and will inspire us to be greater and greater people. Perak Yud Be'ez Pasuk Be'ez is a famous Pasuk, HaChodesh Zalachem Rosh Chadashim. And we know the Gemara tells us, Rashi brings us down also, that Moshe was not understanding Molad Halavana. He was not understanding very complex calculations of the of the moon. And so Hashem showed him exactly where what the moon should look like when you're Makadesh it. And he showed him, that's why it says, because Hashem was pointing. Whenever it says Zeh, it means that Hashem is pointing. So the Gra brings down that there are three things that Moshe was had difficulty with. And this is a little bit difficult because there's a Gemara Menachos that um, has different Gersos. And I'll, I'll explain in a second. But basically it says, this Gemara in, in Menachos uh, of Chavtes when Aleph says, there are three things that Moshe had trouble with, and there's, it's Mahalgas of ha- what these three things are, so let me just go through all of them. So one of them is for sure the menorah, um, that's one. Another one is for sure HaChodesh, the month, which is this one. Moshe didn't know how the menorah was created, a miksha, and Hashem showed him. Moshe didn't know HaChodesh, uh, how the moon was supposed to look, and Hashem showed him. And then the other the third one is either Shkalim, that Hashem didn't understand, the sh- that Moshe didn't understand Shkalim, or Shratzim, he didn't understand the Shmona Shratzim. And if you look at the Gemara Menachos, there it says three things were Kasha to Moshe, and it's Menorah, Rosh Chodesh, and Shratzim. And Tosas asks, that what about Masa Shekel? Because it says Zegitnu, so Lachor, that one should be counted as well. So, and, and the Medrash says that Hashem showed Moshe a Matbeya Shalesh. So, um, Tosas tries to give his answer there, but we're not going to go into that. Bottom line is, says the Gra, that the name Moshe actually is Rashi Tevis Menorah, either Shkalem or Shratzim, and Hachodesh. That, that's Moshe's name. And not only that, but it's also Sophie Tevis, the, the last letters of Menorah, Shkalem or Shratzim, and Hachodesh also spell Moshe. And that's the remus to his name, these three things he was Niskasha by. Now, the question is, what does that mean? What I believe is that we call Moshe Rabbeinu, our leader, our teacher, but Moshe was the Anavmi Kaladam. And these three things that embody his name, they show from beginning to end, Roshi Tevos and Sefei Tevos, that Moshe was willing to say, I don't know, when he didn't know. And then he could say to the Rebbeinu Shalom, I don't understand the menorah, I don't understand the Shkalim, or I don't understand the Shratzim, and I don't understand HaChodesh. And Hashem would teach it to us, would teach it to him. And we should never be afraid to say, I don't understand, because that is the way we're going to learn. And we think we know it all, then we know nothing. But the Anav is always running towards Hashem and saying, please, teach it to me. And that subservience that he has towards Hashem, 
is part of the Moshe Kibbutz Torah Misenai, Masroli Yeshua, and Sinai teaches us to be humble. That's why it was chosen. And that humility is the epitome of Moshe. These three things are how Moshe turned to Hashem and said, Rabbanu Shalom, guide me. That's where Torah is embodied in that name of Moshe, those three items. Just one last thought, which is about Tefillin de Rabbeinu Tam. There's a big machogas between the Sephardim, Ashkenazim, Mikubalim, Babavich, whether to wear them or not, Gemara Menachos, Laman Zayin, Mubeis, Ayin Sham, Rashi, and Tosas, very interesting idea. There's also a Rivet and many other. So Rechaim Velazhin was the Talmud Muvak of the Grah, and he asked him one time, Rebbe, why don't you put on Tefillin of Rabbeinu Tam? Why do you only put on Tefillin of Rashi? And so the Grah answered him, that if I was going to put on Rabbeinu Tom, I would need to put on 64 different pairs of tillin because there are many, many shitas about how to do each one and what order, and in those shitas, there are shitas of shitas. And if you want, you can look in Panini Mishulchan Akra, page Kuflamid. It actually explains the 64 ways. And finally, Rav Chaim Velazhin is told over that um, that Rav, that his Rebbe, the Vilna one time told him that he said to him, quote, he said, you should know, my dear Talmud Rav Chaim, this is the Grah talking, that I have many, many kashas on Rabbeinu Tom's opinion, and when I go into the Olam Ames, he told him, it's going to take me three days to teach him, to, to say over all of my kashas. But what I understand is that, of course, Rabbeinu Tom is a Bucky and Kol Tarakula, and there's certainly what to talk about it. However, I believe that because of Baal Tosef, I will not put on Tefillin to Rabbeinu Tom. And that's the, the sheet of the Vilna Gon. And, of course, the Lavush and the Madani Melech and the Mizrahi and many other people uh, bring the Shita in the last parak of Erevin, that there's Baal Tosef, etc. And the Grah said, that the, the Rechaim Velazhin said that from that time on, he himself stopped putting on Tefillin Rabbeinu Tam. He was convinced by his Rebbe not to do it. Of course, everyone should follow their own Minhag. My Rebbe, Rechaim Greenblatt, once told me, and this is printed by many other people, that it's good to put on Tefillin Rabbeinu Tam once in one's lifetime. Just so he shouldn't be karkafted lomach tefillin at least one time. He put on at least according to just written tom. But of course, this is not something that a person has to do. It's a chumrah. There's different opinions. There's a beautiful, brilliant aracha shulchan. Aracha shulchan brings down from the Kabbalim, from the Zohar, and from the Arizal that la'asad lava we will have tefillin of rabbeinu tam. This is also brought down in Shal's Achuos Menashemayim, where this uh, rishon put in put a paper under his bed and he asks whatever it was, the Magi that was talking to him, or whatever it is, which tefillin are correct, and he was told, tefillin are been a Tom. What does this mean? So, the, uh, so of course, Lobo Shemayim, and there's a whole discussion, but we're not going to get into that, but the bottom line is that the Aruch HaShulchan explains in Hilchus Tefillin that the two Havayas are next to each other in tefillin are a Tom, whereas according to Rashi, the two Vahayas are not next to each other, they're interrupted. What does that mean? That means that in Olam Haza, Hashem's name is not Shalim, and in Lasa Lavo, the two Avayas of Hashem, Yudhei and Yudhei, will be put next to each other. The shame will be transformed into Yudhei and Yudhei, where, like, like I am written, that's how I am said. Ekeh Asher Ekeh, the sod of Ekeh Asher Ekeh, which I don't fully understand what these things mean. But what I do understand is that what he's saying is that in Olam Haza, the halacha is like Rashi, because the shame of Hashem and the kisa of Hashem is not Shalim. But Lasa Lavo, the halacha will be like Rabbeinu Tam. And uh, it's just a fascinating way of looking at this Ayin Sham in the Aruch HaShulchan Tillan, where he tries to explain this. These are some ideas on the Parsha, and like I said, applied to the Seder. Where they teach us the beauty and the brilliance and the depth of Torah. Thanks for joining us. For more Torah content and to make sure you never miss an episode, don't forget to subscribe and visit us at ParshaThemes.com.